Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Before we launch into the first teaching series of our year, however, as a leadership team, we wanted to take this Sunday and take the time to repristinate our values and our priorities. Now, some of you are probably thinking, you want to do what with our values and priorities? And the word was repristinate. It's a big word. It's not a word that I invented. It's a word that came from an observation that English author G.K. Chesterton once made about a white fence. He commented that if you want a white fence, you have to keep painting it regularly because if you don't paint it regularly, ultimately you'll end up with a grey fence and possibly even a blackened one. So he said if you want a white fence, you've got to repristinate it. You keep it pristine by repainting it. And effectively, you have to do the same in an organisation or a church with your vision, with your values and your priorities because every organisation, whether it's a church or a business, has what we call mission drift. Things just drift and and people after a while not quite sure why we do what we do. And unless we go back and speak to that, sometimes you can actually lose your raison d'etre, your reason for actually existing. So what happened was last year we spent some time in, uh, in our church reworking our social media spaces, going over our Facebook and Instagram and so on. And the people that were doing that came to us as a leadership team and said, you know what, we need a cohesive sentence that encapsulates who we are as a faith community. Previously, if you'd visited our website, it said we are an independent Pentecostal church located in the heart of Hamilton. And really that doesn't tell you a lot about who we are. It tells you what, what we are and where we are, but not really who we are. Now, of course, if you had have gone into the website and seen that statement and stayed a little longer, you would have found a page where it did talk about our values and priorities. They were written out. But there's no short statement that kind of encapsulates them and gives people an insight into what they might expect if they were coming to Gateway as their faith community. If you're in a business or a school or some kind of institution, you possibly be familiar with this whole idea. We tend to refer to these encapsulated statements as a vision statement. Now, over the years, I've studiously avoided that language. I've deliberately avoided it, and I'm not going to explain why. If you want to know why, I do a chapter in my book, Water Under the Bridge, called The Vision Thing. And it explains why I have real reservation about vision statements. But sufficient to say that there are perhaps many of us here who have spent in schools, organisations, whatever else, countless hours mulling over and working out such vision statements, knowing full well that once they were up on the wall and we had ticked the box, we could just get on with business as usual. Realistically, uh, if you'd done it a few times, you know that the statement actually didn't count for a hill of beans in terms of the way the organisation worked on a daily basis. In fact, in my experience, what it most often did is created a good deal of cynicism about vision statements. Here is a perfect, if extreme, example of what I mean. This is a value statement that was displayed prominently in the reception area of a very well-known company, and, and it had these values. Respect. We treat others as we would like to be treated ourselves. We do not tolerate abusive or disrespectful behaviour. 
communication. We have an obligation to communicate. Here, we take the time to talk with others and to listen. Integrity. We work with customers and prospects openly, honestly, and sincerely. When we say we will do something, we do it. When we say we cannot or will not do something, we don't do it. And the last one was excellence. We are satisfied with nothing less than the very best in everything we do. Kind of a run-of-the-mill vision statement in terms of at least values anyway. Sounds noble, sounds good. The company, by the way, was the Enron Company. Now, I don't know whether you've heard of the Enron scandal. I'm looking out and some of you might be too young. But in 2001, Enron was an American gas and electric company, and they were rated as one of the most innovative large companies in America in the 1990s. As it turned out, they were a bit more innovative than the law actually allowed, and they committed massive fraud, and 16 of their executives were convicted of fraudulent behaviour. The founder, Kenneth Lay, was facing up to 45 years in jail when he died of a heart attack before his trial could be conducted. But his CEO, Jeffrey Skilling, was sentenced to 16 years in jail. So what was written out on the statement and attached to the wall in the reception area was not written in the culture or the heart of the organisation. And when you see a few of those, and, and some of you have, as I have, it's hard not to be cynical. So when we were asked, uh, could you put together a kind of a, a sentence that would encapsulate who Gateway is, we were very aware of that phenomenon. And as we sat down as a leadership team to curate the words that would try and convey our heart and calling, we, we took um, a conservative approach in terms of what we thought we were. By the way, I do want to acknowledge Jo Peart uh, and the work that she did on the sentence. She put in a huge effort. Um, here's the sentence that we crafted. Together, we desire to be a church of resilient disciples of Jesus, committed to bringing God's kingdom wherever we are. Now, I know that for many of you, that will be kind of a duh, you know, as if, like, you know, I mean, I was expecting something sort of profound and inspirational, like the spiritual equivalent of E equals MC squared. That's kind of a, it's, it's not exactly something that's just going to set your heart alight. Well, I warned you, we did seek to be conservative and realistic. But let me just take you through and unpack the words of that sentence because they are freighted with some, with some thought that's gone behind them. Firstly, if I could draw your attention to the plural note in the statement. It starts off and says, together, we, and then there's the word church. And those three words, among others, are corporate words. And they try and acknowledge that our faith is a corporate faith. Christianity is not an individual sport. We will not be, we cannot be what God has intended us to be unless we are committed to be part of a local church. Now, even 50 years ago, that statement would have gone without argument. It would have been considered a, a truism, un, unchallenged by most people, but not today. Today, in our highly individualistic culture, the idea is that you can be a Christian, uh, you can be a Christ follower without reference to or attendance at a local church. But I want to tell you, attempting to be part of the body of Christ while not being part of the body of Christ is an oxymoron. It's, a, it's, it's an impossibility. Salvation and discipleship are designed to be worked out in community. It's Frankly, impossible to be independent of and at the same time be a functioning part in the body of Christ. 
Martin Luther was famous for saying many things. Probably the most famous was salvation is by faith alone. But he added, but it is not to a faith that is alone. He he also stated, actually, that that people could not be saved without the church. Now, Now, by that, he did not mean you need the church to mediate salvation. We all know that you're saved by faith alone, that when you turn to Christ and open up your heart to him, a relationship is established. But what Luther was saying is the outworking of that. Paul talked about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Luther said that working out of your salvation and discipleship has to be done in community. It is impossible to do that alone. So the words in our statement, together, we, the church, are an acknowledgement that we are in this together, or actually, we are not in it at all. And I know that that's probably a jarring statement in our individualistic culture, where people really do believe that they can be a Christian, a Christ follower, without relationship to a local church. And I want to challenge that. I I think that if you go to the scriptures, you will find that a very difficult proposition to establish. And our faith is animated by the scriptures and not by what the cultural current suggests might be true. The second thing in our statement is we say, we desire. That obviously indicates a strong feeling that motivates our actions. We are deliberately hopeful of seeing something come to pass. Implicit in that statement, we desire, also is an awareness, or if you like, a confession, that we don't always achieve what we hope for and what we desire. Nevertheless, we journey toward it. Derek Prince once very wisely observed, there are two things, the actual and the ideal. He said, to be mature is to see the ideal while we live in the actual. To fail is to accept the actual and reject the ideal. That leads to cynicism. To accept only that which is ideal and refuse the actual is to live in fairyland. It's to be immature. Judiciously, Prince went on to say, don't criticize the actual because you see the ideal. Don't reject the ideal because you live in the midst of the actual. Maturity is to live with the actual, and hold on to the ideal. Now, some of you are totally confused with the actuals and ideals. But that's a statement worth thinking about. And what that basically says is we don't get things right all the time, perhaps not even most of the time. We live in an actual world with actual people, but we strive for an ideal. There's something that we desire to see happening. And the desire that we have is that we could create here at Gateway a community of resilient disciples of Jesus. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. This is the message translation. It says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, and that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Listen, I know that 
Christianity is not a hundred-yard dash. It's, it's an ultra-marathon. And, and the reality is life is not a cakewalk. Following Jesus does not exempt you from problems. In fact, in many cases, it might actually increase them. The idea of resilient disciples doesn't mean people that are untouched by life's difficulties. The word, uh, or the word resilient literally means able to recoil or spring back into shape after being stretched or compressed. Another definition says resilience is the ability to withstand and recover quickly from dif difficult conditions. So it's an acknowledgement that life is hard. And some people in our congregation, even right now, are facing very, very difficult things, relationally, economically. Do a diagnosis, that the, the, the prognosis is, is, not, is not looking good. Life doesn't go away when you become a believer. The rain shines on the just and the unjust, and life can be incredibly difficult. Resilience is the ability to hold on and hang in. And a lot of people don't. Quite frankly, when trouble comes, this, if this is the Christian life, I, I, I'm not interested. I'm out. And Jesus told a parable about seed that was sown in different kinds of soil, clearly indicating that those who started their life with Jesus would not all finish it in a resilient manner. Some seed fell into earth that didn't have any depth. And when the sun, which Jesus explained represented tribulation and persecution, sprung up, the seed simply withered. Some allowed the thorns, which Jesus said represented the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, to spring up and grow up around about them and ultimately choke the life out of them. A lot of people who start their walk in Jesus don't complete it. What we want to see at Gateway is people who are resilient disciples, resilient schoolchildren, resilient teenagers, and by golly, in our world, they need resilience. Because quite frankly, our kids don't face cultural currents. In many instances, they face a cultural tsunami. And we're trying to build, right from the earliest stage, resilience into our children, our teenagers, our young adults, our young marrieds, our families, our older senior citizens, everybody. We want them to hang in and be there at the finish. You think for a moment of the people that perhaps started their Christian journey at the same time with you. Perhaps they answered the same altar call that you did at that youth camp or at that, uh, at that meeting. And, and now you look around and some of those people, uh, they're not involved in the local church and some of them are not even following Jesus. It's, it's sobering when you think about that. And when you've walked with Jesus, perhaps as long as I have, I look back and see so many of my friends, many who were in ministry, who would now not even say that they were believers. We want people to last the distance, and that requires resilience. The development of resilience isn't an event, it's a process, and it requires that we be a people theologically grounded, biblically aware, spiritually sensitive. It demands that we be a people animated by the scriptures and not simply shaped by the cultural currents. J.B. Phillips says of Romans chapter 12, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And there are powerful forces that are seeking to shape you. And I want to suggest to you that if you aren't being shaped by a more powerful force, you'll simply fall into the mold. So we're looking to create resilient disciples who are committed to bringing God's kingdom wherever they are. Again, in the idea of the, in the word committed is that idea that this will require determination over the long haul. It's a long obedience in the same direction. 
But we are resolved and resilient with regard to this purpose. We want to see people who bring the kingdom of God wherever they find themselves. Now you might say, well, Don, that sounds a bit grandiose. I mean, when you say they bring the kingdom of God, I mean, what do you mean? What does that look like practically? What does that look like in shoes? All kinds of shoes, jandals, school shoes, high heels, slippers, gumboots. How do you bring the kingdom of God wherever you are? Well, without going into a long explanation of what the kingdom of God is, let me simply say it's God's rule. It's where, it's where he rules and where his will is done. Now you could say, well, Don, that still sounds a bit ethereal to me. still sounds a bit unreachable. Well, I, I found a passage in Romans incredibly help, helpful when I think about and pray about the kingdom of God coming. It's, it's Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Wherever I'm called to go, the Holy Spirit through me wants to bring righteousness, resulting in peace that inevitably leads to joy. So let, let me just very briefly unpack that. I'll, I'll give you the message translation. It says, it's what God does with your life as he sets it right. That's talking about righteousness. He puts it together and he completes it with joy. Your task is to sim single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing God above and proving your worth to the people around you. To allow the kingdom of God to come is first of all to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with me and produce uh, what we call righteousness, but it's God putting me right. But it isn't just personal piety. It isn't just me and Jesus, we got a good thing going and we don't care about anybody else particularly. When Abraham was uh, interacting with the Lord, the Lord said about Abraham, I'm calling him and his descendants, and you and I are his descendants by faith, to walk in the way of the Lord. And he said, and that way looks like righteousness and justice. So when we talk about the kingdom of God being righteousness, peace, and joy, in that word righteousness, we're talking about righteousness and justice. I love the way the message translation translates that because it says... Um, Instead of righteousness and justice, it talks about being kind and generous and fair. So my calling is to bring the kingdom of God. And what that looks like is that I be kind and generous and fair wherever I am. It, that might be your home. And I want to tell you, there would be homes that would be absolutely transformed by people committing themselves to be kind and generous and fair because there are a lot of homes that are none of those things. It might look like that at the place where you work as perhaps a school teacher, where in your class, kindness, generosity, and fairness are the standard that you aim for. Now, recognizing that we live in the actual world while we strive for the ideal, nonetheless, those are the things that we look for. Kindness, generosity, fairness. Wherever you are, you translate it into your particular home and workplace. God is asking of you to embody the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God looks like kindness, generosity, and fairness, righteousness, and justice. That can be done. That's something that actually we can reach. So I allow the kingdom of God to come when I cooperate with the Holy Spirit's dealings with me and I seek to embody those things, kindness, 
generosity and fairness before I can express it by the power of the Holy Spirit through me. The result, by the way, is human flourishing. When you find those things happening, people flourish, and the end result is joy. Righteousness, flourishing, which is peace and joy. Our world longs for peace and joy and goes hell for leather to try and get them, but completely ignores righteousness. And that's as sensible as trying to get water from a stream whose spring and fountain you have rejected. When you turn from the spring and the fountain, you don't get the things that are the consequence of that spring and fountain. And peace and joy flow from righteousness. And the final part of that sentence is we want resilient disciples bringing the kingdom of God, kindness, generosity, and fairness wherever they find themselves. Nobody's exempt, okay? Everybody's got to be somewhere, as the goons once said. It can be at work, it can be at home. It can be whether you're self-employed, an employee, or a CEO of a company. It can be if you're a school teacher or a student. Wherever you are, your assignment is to bring the kingdom of God, kindness, generosity, and fairness as a resilient follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're part of or in the process of considering joining Gateway, I want to tell you that's what we're about. That's what we seek to be and what we seek to replicate. And we see our values and our priorities as the means by which and the atmosphere in which we seek to pursue creating resilient disciples. Our priorities are the means by which we believe resilient disciples are created. Let me quickly run through. We want people to develop and deepen and, uh, and sustain a relationship, a personal relationship with God. We are called to develop a people that are convinced of and that are developing in a responsive life of praise and worship to God. Thirdly, we, we are called to develop a people who are growing in their knowledge of and their obedience to the Word of God, the Bible. Number four, we want to develop a people who are growing in their ability to recognize and respond to the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we believe that God gifts every Christian for some dimension of ministry. And together, in our corporate life, our goal is to help you find what that is and express and embody it. That's, that's what we hope to do. If you get into the Gateway Stream, if you get into the Gateway River, that's where we hope to take you. And in a river, you have banks. Without banks, you either have a flood or a swamp, okay? So the banks are what guide the river, and we th think about our bank as being our values. This is where we're going to take you. Our values determine the atmosphere in which that journey will be taken. And so our values are, number one, we value people. Now, I know that some of you would say, oh, surely you don't have to say that, but the reality is um, I do. So many people I talk to, uh, that I've talked to over the years would say something like, well, I was once involved in church, but I got totally burned out, and I, and I, and I just, I don't do it anymore. And that's a story that's so familiar that, that it quite frankly, breaks my heart. And, and I long that Gateway would be a, people, a, a place where actually people are, are treated well, they're kind, treated kindly, generously, fair, fairly. You know, God's supreme passion is people and any endeavor that carries his name must value and love people as he does. I know that's so basic, but it needs to be said. 
people are the goal of the organisation, they are not simply grist for the mill in terms of institutional goals. So often over the years, whether it's a church or an organisation, I've seen people simply used to get to the goals, which might be anything from notoriety to massive profit. And people are simply the vehicles that get the institution to that place. Whenever you have that, particularly in church life, you have forsaken the way of Christ because Christ cares for people. He's not particularly interested in institutional goals. Some of you might remember the occasion when Caiaphas, the high priest, was discussing whether Jesus should be crucified or not. And he said, you know, this guy needs to die in order that the institution will be saved, in order that we can keep our temple and we can keep the Romans away. And here was a man who's the head of the, you know, the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin at that particular time, saying the individual needs to, he needs to be, to die. The fact that he's innocent is neither here nor there. He is endangering the institution, so he is literally crushed, so the institution survives. And I want to tell you the spirit of Caiaphas is alive and well. And unfortunately, unfortunately it's alive and well in many churches and institutions as, as well. But the church is about people. Jesus died for people. He wants a relationship with people. The church is about people. They are not the means to the end. They are the end. And we seek to treat people kindly, justly, fairly, generously. Secondly, we value integrity. That simply means what you see is what you get. There's no hidden agendas. There's nothing going on behind the scenes. Whatever is out front is all there is. You know, one of the things that I treasure most, uh, you know, people are very kind and they'll say very kind things to you, but the thing, one of the comments that I've treasured most over the years happened just up over there by the water cooler. I'd just come back from a missions trip and uh, one of the guys on the missions trip was walking along with a friend and I was walking behind them and they didn't know I was there. And the friend said to the guy who was on the missions trip, so, what's Don really like? And I thought, oh my Lord, here we go. And, uh, and I wasn't going to make myself known. And the, you know, just, um, but, I, but I couldn't help but listen in. And the guy said, I don't know, he's just what you see out the front. He's as silly in private as he is up the front. <laughs> and I thought, I'll take that. I'll take that. What you are there, you are here. What you are in public, you are in private and vice versa. And we seek to be that kind of church. Thirdly, we value authenticity. I'm, I have some mixed feelings about the word authentic because it's a word that's used so much in our culture where people say, well, I just need to be authentic, which means I, don't, don't challenge me. I want to live as I want to live, and I'm being authentic. That is not what I'm talking about, okay? The authenticity I'm talking about is simply just we, we are who we are. We're not trying to be somebody else. We're not trying to be Hillsong, we're not trying to be Bethel, we're not trying to be anybody else. Not that I say that in any way with, with a hint of animosity toward those churches that are doing, in fact, a wonderful job. I just don't want to be a second-rate Hillsong. I don't want to be a second-rate Bethel. We're not trying to imitate anybody. We're trying to allow Jesus, by his Spirit, to work out a genuinely Kiwi expression of faith here in provincial Hamilton, okay? Not rocket science. Somebody came into our church and said, man, I loved it, it was so Kiwi. 
And I said, what did you expect that it would be? American? And he just looked at me and said, so many are. I thought, okay. Finally, and I'm nearly done, we value vulnerability. By that I mean there aren't any experts here. None up here, none down there, none over there. We, we aren't experts. We haven't got life altogether. Some of us have walked covered by grace longer than some of you have, just simply by virtue of age. But, but we, aren't, we aren't experts. We, we're broken and, and recovering from brokenness in exactly the same way that most of you are. You know what, when, when I got ordained so many years ago and when they laid hands on me and ordained me for ministry, my problems didn't go away. In fact, in some instances, they increased significantly. You know, we face life as, as human beings, all of us, and, and we're, all, we're all broken and, and we're all being challenged. But that's what resilience is about. It's facing the challenges and continuing to walk on in spite of them, bouncing back when we are stretched or compressed. That's what resilience is all about. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.